Greetings, everyone. <clears throat> In the New Testament, the English word church is translated from the Greek word ekklesia, which is a compound word consisting of the preposition ek or ex, meaning from or out, and a derivative of kalao, which means to call. So the word church from the standpoint of the Greek from which it is translated is a calling out, hence an assembly. The word synagogue in the New Testament is translated from the Greek uh, synagogue, <clears throat> which is a compound of sun uh, and ago, which means to lead or to bring together. Hence, the word synagogue or synagogue also means an assembly. In effect, the words church and synagogue are simply two words for the same thing, an assembly. A related English word is fellowship. One definition of fellowship, according to Webster's Dictionary, is a state of being together. Sometimes we may speak of a particular church body as a fellowship, as distinct from other church bodies which may or may not have similar beliefs and practices but are separate entities from an organizational standpoint. Another definition of fellowship from WordNet Dictionary is, quote, an association of people who share common beliefs or activities. While the words or the ideas of a church, synagogue, and fellowship are related, the word fellowship has certain connotations of its own. The several Greek words in the New Testament translated fellowship in the New King James and King James translations are mostly related to the word koinos, which means common or shared. Sometimes these words are translated into various forms of the words communion, communication, or sharing, as well as fellowship. In today's sermon, I want to discuss the idea of fellowship from the standpoint of Scripture. What does the Bible say about the proper foundation for Christian fellowship and how may godly fellowship be practiced. Often in the church when people speak of fellowship, it is thought of in terms of social activities such as engaging in ca casual conversation and activities such as a dance or a campout or a common meal. But the Bible use of the term fellowship is much broader and deeper as we will see as we proceed. In the Bible, are specific instructions and examples of how to fellowship, as well as examples of fellowship being practiced and how not to fellowship. The Bible is also very specific about the proper foundation for Christian fellowship. Before I go further, however, I want to digress a bit about some history of the Church of God as I've observed it from my experience over a period of almost 60 years. I began studying the doctrines of the Worldwide Church of God in 1962. After a couple of years, in the fall of 1964, I enrolled at the church's college, Ambassador College. I'd already spent three and a half years in other colleges that were accredited, but Ambassador College would not accept most of my previous course credits and required me to enroll as a freshman. I had a single motive for entering the college. I wanted to learn more about the Bible's teachings and based on previous study, I thought that was the best place to learn more of the truth of what the Bible teaches. I didn't enroll in the college to engage in social activities, date girls, or to become a minister. I did, in fact, engage in a lot of social activities. I dated a lot of girls, and eventually I became a minister in the church. But none of those things was the reason I enrolled. 
I wanted to go there to learn, period. And that was my sole motive for being there. While academic learning was certainly a primary reason for the existence of the college, a lot of the emphasis was placed on social activities, and in some ways it seemed the social aspects of the experience took precedence over the knowledge that could be gleaned from study. A person who was perceived as studying too much for the tastes of certain members of the faculty was deemed unbalanced. It seemed being considered unbalanced if it meant being too studious was something to be avoided at all costs. I frankly don't know if anyone in the college considered me unbalanced, and in any case, it wasn't something I was particularly concerned about, but I did think the concept was curious. I do know some men were placed in the ministry, some graduates of the college who were well-grounded in the Bible, although they no doubt had much to learn, as we all do, but there were a number of others placed in the ministry after graduating who were not as well-grounded as they might have been. Now, whether that had anything to do with the uh, approach to uh, study, as I just mentioned, I don't know, but it may have had an impact on it, at least to some extent. After I graduated from college, I moved to Missouri and was attending a local church congregation of well over 100 people. Most but not all of the people involved seemed to me to be there because of their commitment to the doctrines being taught. There was a warmth, a genuine love and concern for one another among the congregation that was palpable although there were certain marked problems with some individuals as well, as you're likely to find in any group of people that uh, are of any, is of any size. There was what some might call, fe call fellowship opportunities regularly, not only regular services and weekly Bible studies, but speech clubs, common meals, and informal gatherings other gatherings directed by the leadership in the church, such as dances, basketball games, and so forth. Some of the activities I helped organize and manage, but the activities at the time did not seem to take precedence over the spiritual instruction and, and emphasis in the church, at least in the church that I was associated with. The activities were generally planned with the whole church congregation in mind and were not limited to a certain age group and sometimes involved the participation of a nearby congregation. But these larger activities involving more than one congregation were not weekly affairs and occurred usually only two or three times a year. Over the years, however, things began to change. A very influential person in the top leadership of the church decided sometime in the 1970s that young people were not being exposed to enough activities. So the church developed a program called YOU, an abbreviation for Youth Opportunities United. His idea was that activities were the key to keeping young people in the church as they got older. As things developed, after a while, no longer were activities managed so much on the local level, but more on a district level with churches in each district being involved in an endless round of youth-oriented activities. The adults generally were left as spectators if they participated at all, and the parents left with paying the bills for weekly excursions to places often many miles from home, and not uncommonly involving one or two nights in a motel. Eventually, the announcement portion of a typical weekly Sabbath service consumed 45 minutes to an hour and was to a large extent focused on announcements about YOU activities. YOU also involved Bible lessons, but the emphasis was heavily weighted towards sports or other activities that had no real connection with the Bible, and in my view, became detrimental to the lives of many of the participants, both parents and young people. 
It's as though the church had inserted itself as a sur surrogate parent, displacing to a large extent the actual parents for many families, at least in certain respects. I began to view it not so much as a help, but more of a disruption and hindrance to normal family life. I allowed my children to participate in some of the activities, but not all of them, because in my view, they were excessive. Eventually in the late 1980s and into the 90s, YOU activities seemed to become the main focus of the church at large, even as the true doctrines of the Bible were being systematically and subtly undermined by apostate leaders in the church. When the bubble burst and the Worldwide Church of God organization collapsed in 1995, the young people who remained faithful to the truth of God's word were relatively few. It seems activities of the kind indicated were not the key after all to remaining in the church organization and even less the key to remaining faithful to God. Now, that's not to say that activities or social interaction of themselves are wrong, of course, but, it become, but if it becomes a distraction, if the activities become a distraction, if uh, they lead us in the wrong direction, then those things can become a barrier to making progress spiritually. Nevertheless, fellowship of the right kind and on the proper foundation is essential to the vitality of the church and to the spiritual welfare of every member of the church. So let's talk about the foundation for godly fellowship. The foundation for godly fellowship. Godly fellowship begins with one's fellowship with God. We are called first and foremost not into fellowship with other human beings on the earth, but we are called into fellowship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We were called into the fellowship of Jesus Christ and God the Father, as we will see as well. Fellowship among ourselves in a godly fashion is impossible if we do not mutually have the right kind of fellowship relationship with God himself, because that's the foundation of it. We read in 1 John 1, beginning with verse 1, 1 John 1 and verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Note carefully what we read there that godly fellowship with one another is predicated on our having fellowship first with God. And that, in turn, requires that we walk in light, that is, in the truth of God's Word. If we are not striving diligently to live by the commandments of God's Word, we do not have fellowship with God, and we cannot participate in godly fellowship with one another. That doesn't mean 
uh, there can't be fellowship. There are all kinds of uh, approaches to fellowship in the world. For example, Mardi Gras. I used to live in Louisiana, and Mardi Gras is a huge event. In uh, I used to live in, to say, say Louisiana, I guess, not New Orleans, but uh, Mardi Gras is a huge event in New Orleans, along with many other places in the world. And that's a kind of fellowship, but it's not godly fellowship, even though it has to do with a religion. It's anything but godly fellowship. So there are all kinds of fellowship events, but we cannot enjoy godly fellowship if we do not first have a relationship with God, and that means that we must be diligently striving to live by the commandments of God's word. As we read in 1 John 2, beginning verse 3, 1 John 2 and verse 3, by the, by, now by this, we know that we know him. We know that we know him. In other words, we have a relationship with him. We have fellowship with him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. In other words, by this, we know that we have fellowship with him if we are keeping his word. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So in order, in order to have that relationship with God, that fellowship with God that is being discussed, we should strive to imitate Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ lived in perfect obedience to God. We are to strive to follow his example. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21. 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He knew no sin. He did not commit sin. And so if we're to have, to have fellowship with God, we must strive daily to put sin out of our lives because willful sin cuts us off from God, cuts us off from any relationship or fellowship with God. As we read in Psalm 5 and verse 4, Psalm 5 and verse 4, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil shall dwell with you. And there are a number of other scriptures to a similar effect. Our fellowship with God and with one another must be rooted in a common belief. We read in Amos 3 and verse 3, Amos 3 and verse 3, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? If we are to have godly fellowship with one another, we must properly understand and believe the teachings of God's word. We must walk in the light of the truth of God's word and reject the works of darkness. As we read in Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 1, Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. Do not be partakers with them. And this word may very well be... Uh, Translated from uh, a same word, from a word that is also translated fellowship, because it means essentially the same thing. 
In other words, you're not to have, you're not to be in fellowship with those who do those things. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things that are done by them in secret. So we're instructed here, on some points regarding our fellowship with God, and also we are commanded to not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. We, if we have been sanctified by God, we are sanctified by the truth and by believing the truth, among other things. In uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 13, it says, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Notice we have salvation through sanctification by the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and belief in the truth. That's what sanctifies us, along with the blood of Jesus Christ. In John 17, beginning with verse 11, <clears throat> John 17, verse 11, Jesus was praying to the Father. And he said concerning his disciples, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So we are sanctified by the truth. And being sanctified by the truth means that we are not of the world, but we are of God. Jesus said, if we are to be true disciples of his, we must abide in his word, which is the truth, as we just read in John 8, beginning with verse 31. John 8, verse 31, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if we are to be disciples of Jesus Christ, have that relationship with him as disciples, then we are to abide in his word, his teachings, the Bible, the words of Scripture. In the fellowship of the early disciples, uh, that the church enjoyed. Doctrine was the focal point of the fellowship. As we read in Acts 2 and verse 42, Acts 2 and verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So their fellowship was focused on the doctrine and of course involved other things such as common meals, praying, and so forth is mentioned in the context. Paul spoke of the fellowship of the gospel, which is God's word. Living by God's word and supporting the work of sharing 
the gospel with others is an important part of our fellowship with one another. As we read in Philippians 1, beginning with verse 1, Philippians 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So our fellowship is centered on God's word, on the gospel, are, are participating in the uh, living by the gospel, which is the word of God, and sharing in its propagation. If we believe the truth, if we live by the truth, we are one with God and we become one with one another through that faith or belief. And so we have fellowship with one another and we can have fellowship with anyone who is genuinely living by the truth, by the faith of the word of God. To sanctify means to separate for a holy purpose, however, and sanctification separates us from those who reject the truth. So we cannot have spiritual fellowship with those who reject the truth as we may with those who believe and obey the truth. We cannot have that same fellowship relationship that we do with fellow believers. We cannot have that with those who do not believe or obey the truth. When I applied for admission to Ambassador College, I'd never attended a service of the Worldwide Church of God. I didn't attend a service until several months later, after I'd been accepted, after I'd re received a letter of admission to the college. But a short time before I left for college, uh, I did attend a service, and shortly thereafter, a, the local pastor of the church visited me, and he gave me one piece of advice which I found rather surprising at the time, but it was good advice. He told me, as I was about to leave for college in a few days or a week or two, whatever it was, he told me, be careful who, with whom you associate. Be careful with whom you associate. Unfortunately, that same minister left the church a few years later largely because of the people with whom he had associated himself. And after he left, I don't really know what became of him. But in the world and in the church, we need to be careful with whom we associate. And we need to be especially careful whom we allow to influence us. We cannot be participants in the evil deeds of people in the world, nor of those ostensibly in the church. That doesn't mean we mistreat people or look down on them, but we must not allow ourselves to be involved with them in any way that would cause us to violate God's word. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning with verse 14, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? By the way, unequally yoked has reference to how animals are uh, yoked together to work. And you would not, uh, for example, uh, you would not uh, put a mule and a horse in the same yoke because they uh, have different strengths and it simply would not work well for the animals or for the 
the whole situation. That's why being unequally yoked uh, is uh, referring to we cannot uh, be uh, yoked together with unbelievers in a spiritual sense uh, because uh, it does not produce good fruit. And it goes on to explain more what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, what communion has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, and what part has a believer with an unbeliever. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We're told that to be a friend of this world is to be an enemy of God. As James wrote in James 4 and verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. In 1 John 2, beginning with verse 15, 1 John 2 and verse 15, we read, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And yet Jesus Christ, as we just read earlier, said he was sending his disciples into the world. So we are in the world. We live in this world. And we're in constant contact with it. So we have to live in this world, but we must do so without embracing it. That is embracing its values, its, its, uh, uh, its, its customs, its way of doing things. insofar as they might violate God's laws. We are to live in the world as lights to the world. We are to live as an example to others. We are to live at peace with others. That doesn't... Uh, hating the world does not mean that we uh, hate the people in the world. It does not mean we cannot be neighborly. It does not mean that we can't uh, help our neighbors or love other people who are part of the world. In fact, we ought to do those things. We're commanded to do those things. We can be respectful toward others and endeavor to live at peace with them, however, without being drawn into sharing their false beliefs or participating in their evil deeds. We must love others, but often... That means loving them from a distance, hopefully on friendly terms, but without allowing them to influence our beliefs or practices in a way that would displease God. We're told in Romans 12, verse 18, Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And the same principles apply to dealing with people in the church. by choosing the wrong companions or choosing the wrong person to follow. We can, lead, we can be led down a path of destruction. And that includes relationships with people who are nominally, at least, in the church. We read in Proverbs 13, verse 20, Proverbs 13, verse 20, He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. So we need to uh, make a uh, determination 
in appraising the people who are around us, whether in the world or even in the church, and determine just how close association with any given individual we, we might want to have. If we make the wrong choices, it could lead us into trouble and destruction. Paul advised Timothy in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words, properly understanding the scriptures. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and uh, Philetus are of this sort who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past and they overthrow the faith of some. So here were men specifically mentioned who were evidently part of the, the congregation who, were, who had been spreading heresy in the church and were overthrowing the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So we are to not necessarily assume that everybody in the church is genuine or the things that they say are genuine. And we need to be on guard against any type of falsehoods, false teachings, heretical doctrines, lest we be deceived and drawn along into deception. And this has happened repeatedly in, in the church many times, not just, not just uh, in 1995 or <clears throat> the uh, period preceding that. This kind of thing has happened multiple times in the church beginning in the uh, apostolic era. And it happened, of course, in the Old Testament era many times as well. The scripture warns repeatedly not to be caught up with those ostensibly in the church, but who subvert the truth. In Romans 16, verse 17, Romans 16, verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and defenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. Contrary to the doctrine which you learned would imply the doctrines of Scripture, the doctrines taught by the apostles, by Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. So it is incumbent upon us as individuals to uh, determine who to avoid close, uh, a close relationship with, being influenced by them. It's not necessarily the church's job to, to tell you him to, to avoid it, maybe in certain circumstances, but uh, the, the people uh, making the decisions in the church may be the very ones you should avoid. So you have to make that decision based on uh, study the proper understanding of the Word of God. We read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, there were also false prophets among the people, 
even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covetousness. They will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So we have to be on guard against false teachings in the church as well as from without. And that affects our relationships, our fellowship with certain people. Another way that we experience Christian fellowship is by giving to others. When we give tithes and offerings, we ought to think about how our gifts might affect the lives of others. Paul wrote of the generosity of churches in Macedonia who sought to share in contributing to the relief of brethren suffering in Judea. And he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So notice they had a sound foundation. They had given themselves to God, but they also sought urgently to share in the fellowship of ministering to the saints. A big part of our fellowship as a church is the ministry that we share in giving to others a message they desperately need, even if they don't realize it or appreciate it. You may think of our work as a small and insignificant work, which in, it is in some ways, but it may be very significant to any individual whose life is changed as a result of our collective efforts. Other gifts that we may give on occasion as a church is also a part of our fellowship and ministering to others. And so we have fellowship in our ministering to other people, not only in sharing the gospel, but in other ways that we might share with them. We read in Hebrews 13, verse 12, Hebrews 13, verse 12, do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Our fellowship with God and with one another is implemented also in our mutual suffering. You may not have thought of suffering as Fellowship, but it is. <clears throat> As Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3, Yes, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is Philippians 3, beginning with verse 8. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul sought to have fellowship with Christ through his sufferings. Be, being conformed to his death by any means, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. God does not promise Christians a life of 
ease and luxury and uh, nothing but blue sky and blessings. What God promises us is a life of suffering. The life of a Christian frequently involves suffering. And Jesus promised that we would be hated by the world, that we would be persecuted. In John 15, verse 19, John 15, verse 19, he said, if, if you were of the world, the world will love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Now, we here may not have been persecuted much, if any, at all, for our beliefs in this age. But in times past, many faithful Christians, hundreds of thousands, uh, no doubt, and perhaps many millions, have been persecuted, not infrequently by others who claim to be Christians. Many professing Christians in various parts of the world are presently enduring persecution. The enemies of any semblance of Christianity are becoming ever more powerful even in the United States. At some point in the future, if not now, we will as a people be subject to persecution just as Jesus Christ was and many others of our brethren have been down through history. And if we are so persecuted, then we can count that as a part of our fellowship with Jesus Christ and with one another. Another aspect of our fellowship is assembling together on the Sabbaths and holy days to worship God and to be taught his word. We read in Matthew 18, verse 20, Matthew 18, verse 20, or uh, excuse me, this is Hebrews 10, Get to Matthew in a minute, but Hebrews 10 and verse 23. Uh, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to uh, one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Of course, that depends on our physical circumstances. And uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, not everyone can participate in our assemblies because of sickness or for other reasons. Many are isolated and not capable of traveling to a location where service is available. And that's the way it's been throughout the history of the church. but we should participate if and when we can. And in our age, we have the blessing of being able to reach people from remote locations through the internet. So some of them can participate in our services in that way. And we are indeed a small assembly, but Jesus said in Matthew 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. But we must strive to maintain our assembly together as far as that is possible. That's a part of our fellowship. And finally, our fellowship is fulfilled in mutual affection, love, humility, and serving one another with whatever abilities and gifts we have. We read in in uh, Romans 12, beginning with verse 1, Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Prophecy doesn't always mean foretelling the future, by the way. It could be just speaking um, as directed by God, uh, teaching uh, Scripture and so forth. goes on to say, or ministry. Let us use it in our ministry. Now, and there are many kinds of ministry that could be performed, serving others. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality. Some are, are able to uh, give more than others. Some have other talents and abilities and, and uh, potential to serve. He who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. And do not be wise in your own opinion. In these ways, our fellowship is practiced in a godly fashion. Again, on the foundation of our relationship with God. Growing into the kind of fellowship we should have with God and with one another is a lifelong endeavor. But we need to keep working at it daily. As we read in Philippians 2, verse 1, Philippians 2 and verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. 